Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate and provide education from our guests' experience. So Julia, who's joining us on the podcast this week? This week on the podcast, we're excited to hear the inspirational career journey of Charlotte Carling. Charlotte started her career as a lead dental hygienist in the Armed Forces Hospital in Saudi Arabia. She then went on to be the Emirates Airline first hygienist based in Dubai. It's given me a new skill set to to adapt to difficult situations, be be prepared for the unknown if if you know what I mean. So I think absolutely an amazing experience that I I really value even to this day. After moving back to the UK, she became a co-owner of a dental practice which she ran for 18 years. During that time, she took extra training to do dental therapy. She's recently completed her MSc in dental hygiene and she currently works in a busy West End practice. She's also on the GDC Fitness to Practice panel. You know, it's all about giving best patient care, isn't it? And I thought if I embark on a, a course like the Masters, I'm going to be giving my patients the very best I can. And that was one of the key factors. With your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. So, Charlotte, I'd like to take it back to the start. I'm interested to hear you've got this interesting career journey, but what first got you into dentistry? Believe it or not, I'd always been interested in dentistry from a young child and I know this sounds funny now, but my um, I said to my mother, I've got good teeth, so I'll be, I can be a dentist. <laughs> she then pointed out there was a lot more <laughs> I needed to go through. So it was something I'd always been interested in. And then I looked at the career pathway. And as I qualified many years ago, you had to train as a nurse first, which was very good. So I trained there at Guy's. And then I then applied to do hygiene. And then my career developed from there. And then after qualifying, you've had a hugely variable career. And part of that was working abroad. So you worked in Saudi Arabia. You worked for Emirates Airlines in Dubai, which sounds really interesting and glamorous. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how those jobs came about, what they entailed, and, and just a bit more about that part of your journey. Absolutely. Um, it was an opportune meeting with a colleague of mine and she had previously worked in Saudi Arabia and she said, look, this is a really good opportunity. I was attracted by working abroad, the experience. And within three months, although there were only a few positions available for hygienists then, uh, I was on my way to Saudi Arabia. Um, Originally, I was posted to a community village about 90 k's from Riyadh, which was called Akaj. It was very third world, and there was this little hospital in the middle of nowhere. And I basically treated Bedouins. So they came in from the desert, and they hadn't really had very limited dental experience. I made sure I learned... I had an interpreter in the room, so I made sure that I learned some Arabic so that I could converse with them. And they appreciated that. And they call you sister. And that was a term of endearment to say, you know, welcome to our country. Um, And then I really realised that aura hygiene was very poor because they basically, I don't know, many of you see mushwax. They're like little pieces of stick. And so that they clean their teeth with that. 
but of course the lingual and palatal surfaces were completely missed. Um, so I was there for about eight months before I got the opportunity to then move to Riyadh. And I worked for the Riyadh um, Saudi Armed Forces Hospital. So I really basically treated the military, their family, their extended family. So there were a lot of people involved, but also um, King, Farhead, uh, Prince Sultan that were all around at the time. You would then really basically from Bedouins to the princesses and the princes. So it was such a diverse um, environment, and it wasn't it wasn't uncommon to be called out at ten o'clock at night to see a particular princess. But I was told by our head of department, Dr. Hoffman Bakker, who I highly respected, that um, if if they're more than an hour late, don't don't hang around any longer. So I have one small anecdotal story that um, sort of sums up a bit of my experience in Saudi Arabia. Um, Because I became the lead hygienist, there were about 16 of us, and I suddenly got a phone call. It was on a Friday, which is the Sabbath day, our Sunday. And Dr. Bakarang said, get your bag packed. We're going to be treating King um, Farhad. He's going to be... It was a... a place on the borders of Iraq and Saudi Arabia. He wants to be treated, so I'm setting up a team. Be ready. So we were within an hour on this plane provided for us. We flew over some amazing desert sceneries. And when we arrived, everything was set up. The red carpet was laid out. The soldiers were all lined up, so nine o'clock. But that was nothing unusual for them to turn up at 10 o'clock at night. 10 11, he decides he's not going to come. He's cancelled the whole trip. (laughs) So there Mm -hmm. we are. We'd all been flown over there. (laughs) Having said that, we still experienced, um, I think we we had dinner in this majlis. So we had an amazing experience, but we never quite got to do anything. (laughs) No patient at the end of it. No patient at the end of it, no. Sounds sounds like an interesting day. It sounds incredible. And I'm sure there were many more of those. Many more. Because when I was in Saudi, it was the late 90s, and so it was very restrictive. I believe it's a completely different place today. But I would wear in a bai, I would cover my head, and I would um, follow the regime. Women couldn't drive. So it was restricted. There was no public entertainment or anything like that. So you got to make your own entertainment and you made friends. So... I mean, this all sounds really quite interesting and, as Josh said, quite glamorous in a way. But then you leave and you finish your time there. You've had a magical time. What what made you, what was your turning point that made you leave? Well, I was always looking for new opportunities and I wanted to remain in the Middle East if I could. I really enjoyed working abroad because I loved getting experience, working, you know, versatile with different um, diversity, with different clinicians and, you know, adapting to different situations. I like those sort of challenges. And an opportunity just came up and said that Emirates Airline were looking for a hygienist and I would, this would be their first hygienist because they'd set up this medical centre to treat the pilots, cabin crew and their families, etc. And I thought, that sounds interesting. Also, you couldn't drink in Saudi. So 
to get a real G&T was quite, was quite <laughs> appealing. So um, anyway, I got offered the position. And where was that based? So it was based in the centre of Dubai, where the main airline is. Um, so, yes. Wow. So talk us through that. What did, what did that involve? What was the setup? How did that work? So, again, it was a clinic. And now I believe they've got their own hospital, but it was a clinic. So there was doctors, nurses, radiologists. So there was a, a variety of reception, obviously, style. And I basically had a very full day treating cabin crew, pilots, and and basically that was it. So it was very intense day, actually. The days were very intense and it was very hard work. And I think a lot of companies did did go through a phase where they were providing dental treatment That's for right. their um, staff members. It was It became a bit of a perk. It was certainly time less spent away from active duty, if you like, yes. on the airline. So I, I certainly I'm aware that many other airlines have done it, British Airways, yes. for example, and other industry uh, providers have got well-established dental and medical links, haven't they? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, again, as I say, this was the late 90s, so this was quite new and they were quite thought forward-thinking and the airline was doing very well, it was winning prizes, so they wanted to be seen to be really looking after their staff. And they, and they did really look after their staff. So that's got to lead on to the question of, were the perks for you? Did you fly around the world with Emirates Airlines? Or? Well, you did get um, heavily discounted tickets. I think I only had to pay 10%. So I went to the Maldives oh, on the 10% nice. ticket. And, and, you know, when they have little holiday packages, I thought, well, that's a good deal. Um, and I also managed to bring out my family on 20%. In those days, they were supposed to go on standby, but basically you could always guarantee they'd get a seat. And so that was that was definitely a perk. Yeah. And you got free accommodation as well. So again, following on from Julia's previous question, this also sounded like a really interesting job. And that, So then what happens for you to then decide you wanted to do something different again? So I'd been away about three and a half years and I have to say at the time, pay wasn't great. And the life in Dubai is not cheap. Yeah. And if you want to live a decent standard of living, then you need to, and I just wasn't earning enough money. And I thought I need to go back and update skills in, in the sense of my knowledge, et cetera. So it was a, it was a difficult decision, but ultimately... But a wonderful experience. A so wonderful not, experience. So not altogether negative and has paved the way for lots of other things that you've gone Absolutely. on to do. It's given me a new skill set to to adapt to difficult situations, be be prepared for the unknown if if you know what I mean. So I think absolutely an amazing experience that I I really value even to this day. Yeah. So would you advise any listeners thinking of maybe doing something similar, going abroad? Would that be something that you would Absolutely. recommend? Do you have any kind of advice, top tips, if somebody is thinking of moving abroad to the Middle East or, or anywhere else? I, I, guess. I, I think if, if you've got a passion for travelling, I think that's a key. And you really enjoy um, experiencing new cultures. You're prepared to adapt to different cultures. I think that's very important. You've always got to respect if you're in their country, you respect their ways. And I think that was the key to being successful. Um, 
expecting, you know, expecting to um, have just so many different experiences. But yes, if you if that's the type of person you are and you want to get those experiences, because you can always return and bring them back to the UK, bring those skills back. Yeah, for sure. And talking of skills, obviously you came back. The natural progression is to start practicing in the UK and you were fortunate enough to get involved in a dental practice ownership. That's correct. So um, when I initially came back, I worked um, for the Fresh Breast Centre and then an opportunity to work in the West End came up and I then proceeded after a number of years to become co-owner of that practice, which was another great experience. I mean, I, I think that we could talk about that a little bit more. I mean, great experience. Owning a practice... Not always straightforward, no. not always easy, but positive. <laughs> there's definitely, as you say, Juliet, there's definitely positive aspects because number one, you're, you're the boss. You can run it how you want to run it. You can buy the equipment that you want and, you know, you're part of managing a team. And I like meeting people. I like I quite like being team leader. So I actually really did enjoy that. And you get a lot of rewards about running your own business. But there's also the other side where there's a lot of, well, now that we've got CQC, compliancy, managing staff, there's lots of other aspects. And I think you've got to be very well organised if you want to set up a business. You've got to have everything, your budget organised, you know, how much it's going to cost you to run, et cetera, and if you want to put new equipment in. So there's a lot of considerations. But it's yeah. nice to have, be, you know, your own autonomy and being in charge of yourself, really, isn't it? Yes, so. yes. <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> so whilst owning your practice, you decided to go and do extra training to um, do dental therapy. I was just wondering if you could talk us through the decision to do that and whether you'd recommend that another hygienist who might be considering that as an option, whether you'd recommend that they go on and do it. So, yes, Josh, going back to the last part of your question there about recommending, I, I definitely would recommend if you've got, you know, if you want new dimension to your working day, you want to add to skills and have new skills to add to offer the practice and if the practice is interested in offering you therapy work. I, I can see now that there are definitely jobs um, advertised mm -hmm. as showing they want therapists. So definitely, because it, it makes your day interesting from you could be doing a filling and then you could be doing hygiene, then you could be, it depends if they've got children in the practice, you might be putting stainless steel crown on. So yes, I think it's definitely the more skills you have, the more you can participate into the practice and, you know, offer other people, you know, when you go for a job interview. Yeah. So you're currently working in a large um, specialist practice in the West End still. And what skills do you think from all of that experience in your career have you ended up bringing to that job? Do you think that all those different things that you've learned throughout your time has, has influenced how you practice now and the, and the role that you, you're currently taking on? Yes, I think, I mean, where I work now, it's a highly uh, specialised practice. 
and a great team of clinicians. They, I think the fact that I have can adapt to different situations, there are a lot of high-profile patients, so maintaining that utmost professionalism and being really professional and being someone that the clinicians can really rely on to deliver, I think that that was perhaps and a bit of new vigor I came in sort of quite excited and here off I was and so I think those sort of attributes and and, and being a team player I think that's a key. So in addition to your clinical role currently you're part of the general dental council uh, and their fitness to practice panel can you perhaps talk us through that because I'm sure the listeners would be interested to know that role and how you got into it. Yes, yes, Julia. Um, so I'm a fitness to practice panelist, as you've just said, and it comprises of three members, and that's a DCP, a layperson, and a dentist. What we do is we make decisions on registrants fitness to practice. It goes before when it goes before the professional conduct committee, it's gone through several processes, but it's when there is a case to answer. So we, prior to the hearing, we receive bundles on an iPad. So they're quite, it can be quite extensive. And we read all those prior to the hearing. And then we make, we find facts. And then we make decisions further. So it's a very, we always look in the best interest of the patients and obviously the wider public interest. But we are also just equally fair and balanced with the registrant as well. Because this is a big decision that you're it's, making. This is, this is somebody's livelihood you're making a decision. I know with the GDC are there for the patient. So, you know, yeah. we, as you said, you know, we mustn't underestimate the power of what's being done to the patient, but also to the registrant that you are dealing with. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's a lot of fine balancing and fine tuning just so that we really do get to that right decision. And I think you we challenge each other when we have our discussions or what they're called, the in-camera discussions. We challenge each other's view, but we're also very open to hearing the other person because their view might be, their argument might be that little bit stronger. Also, when you're giving your argument, you know, you must make sure you're balancing it up with the evidence available so that you can all, there's a, a committee secretary who's documenting everything and they need to know when they're writing up the determinations. So, yes, we do really conscious of both sides. And so that's why I really think you need those three members. How did you get into it? I mean, if, if people are listening, thinking, oh, I'd quite like to do some stuff for the GDC. Mm. How, how did you get into it? Well, it, I'd seen it advertised on a few occasions and I just didn't think I quite had the skills ready. You know, I needed to develop my skills, what they wanted. One of them was IT. And it was during lockdown that I saw it on the GDC, you know, the emails we get through the GDCs with Bulletin. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it advertised there. And I think they actually extended the date because of, all of a sudden, we were all in lockdown. And I thought, this is my time now. This is my time to apply. So I then, you know, the application took some time to complete. And then I was asked for an interview. And and it went from there. And I 
delighted to have been accepted and to be part of the panel. So you must have a lot of different experiences just just from from that aspect of of what you're doing at the moment. And I'm just interested to know if if that influences your clinical career. Do you think that the things that you've seen, things that you've worked with, has changed how you work clinically in any way? Or do you know one of the key things is making my notes, contemporaneous notes, and making sure just spending sometimes that extra couple of minutes writing those notes and. You know, not everything goes well all the time. We all know that. We all make mistakes. It's just part of life. We're human. But I think it's how you rectify that mistake, how you deal with it. And, you know, sometimes I just make, if there's been quite a, a lot of treatment the patient's received, a lot of um, root surface debridement, it's been a long treatment, I will always make that little phone call in the evening to see how they're doing and document it. So I'm very conscious, and even today I keep thinking, am I writing everything in my notes? I'm making sure you get consent. Yeah. That's another key thing. So tips for listeners, good contemporaneous notes, consent. Any other things that you would advise people to hopefully not end up anywhere uh, near the GDC? Absolutely. I think, you know, as I just said, you know, things don't always go right. And I think the key is dealing with that in a professional manner with integrity and responding to the patient in a really timely manner because you can dissipate things quickly if you've dealt with it. It's when you allow things to escalate that you don't really want to happen. Yeah. So that that would be a little advice. And you've continued to do further education throughout mm. all of this. I mean, you are a busy lady. You're seeing your own patients. You're part of the GDC. And you've just finished an MSc in dental hygiene. Yes, yes. And that was a really, really good experience. I I knew, I think it's easy to become slightly complacent when you're working and sort of, you know, carry on and you think you've got everything but I thought I really do need to refresh my knowledge I really need to make sure that once I stopped owning the business and you know that side of things I thought I need to make sure I'm really on top of my game and I've got you know it's all about giving best patient care isn't it and Mm -hmm. I thought if I embark on a, a course like the masters I'm going to be giving my patients the very best I can and that was one of the key factors. And when I was searching, I thought, well, you know, when you're Googling away, and the UCL Eastman course attracted my attention. One of them was the modules uh, because of the I wanted the development of periodontal management, also the literature reviews, understanding papers, you know, really getting to grips with what I'm looking out for. And also understanding statistical analysis. I hadn't got a clue what any of it meant before. Yeah, because I don't suppose that sort of thing was covered greatly in your training (laughs) and it certainly wasn't in mine. Um, But that is something that we definitely encourage students to do uh, at this stage. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, Julia. It was just wasn't covered in when I trained. (laughs) So, and even my dental, when I did dental therapy, it wasn't really covered and we weren't doing it wasn't really everything being backed backed up with evidence-based healthcare. so I really thought I need some guidance here I need to make sure 
that I can search the papers properly. So that it was really, really, really good. Demanding and certainly got your critical thinking. Yeah. And, and presumably being quite energised by the cohort that you were doing it alongside because you were then surrounding yourself with very like-minded people. Absolutely. There were eight of us. And I, I'd like to say we're all going to be lifelong friends because we went through three years together. We were there supporting each other. Everybody was had the same goal and everybody had different skills to offer. And it's watching other people. You think, hmm. I think that's very good. I must think that in future. And, and that's that's how it is, isn't it? Learning from each other. You never stop learning from people, do you? It's watching and learning and yes. thinking, oh, I'd like to have and that I think skill. One, <laughs> one, one mustn't underestimate the fact that you can learn in a, dare I say, in a positive and a negative yes. way. You know, we can learn a lot from our colleagues. We we learn in the positive ways, the very traditional ways, but actually you can kind of think, well, you know, if, I'm not quite sure whether I quite like the way they're they're doing that. I'm going to try and do it a slightly different way yes. and, and modify it. So there are lots of different opportunities of, of learning there, aren't there? Absolutely. Um, you're quite right. But also you think, actually, I could change that about what, the way I'm addressing um, patients. I think one of the, the key things was behavioural change. And although I'd learned some of that trying to communicate when I was in the Middle East... But this was, there were some really good tips about one of them rolling with resistance. And now I just say to patients, so do you think you'd be able to manage that? Do you think you could put that in part of your regime in your day? Do, you know, I can offer you other things to clean it. For instance, into dental aids. You know, do you think that um, that's something you can manage? And it's a surprising, then they start to feedback differently. And so I've learned some tips that actually I've brought forward now that is actually working. So great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <what is> <laughs> so you've had a, a whole host of different experiences that we've talked about there throughout your career. And there might be some newly qualified hygienists or therapists or, or the whole dental team uh, really listening to this podcast that are inspired by, by what you've done. Would you have any advice to give somebody who's newly qualified moving into this field, has this whole career ahead of them to, to get the most out of themselves and, and their career and, and their practice? Yes, I think just working varied practices because that gives you as much as experience as possible. Just continue learning, update your skills, go on courses. You know, I know it's a Bachelor of Science now, isn't it? The Dental Hygiene yeah. Therapy Programme. So there's always the Masters to go on to, which you can do online. There's just a couple of residential weeks a year. So it's something you can fit around your professional working life. Mm -hmm. And especially busy people that have got children and etc. So, yes, I think that's something we should all try to aspire to, to update and keep updated and as I say just behave as professionally as you can always because I think that is a big key even when things are not quite you know not happy with something and I think we mustn't underestimate the power of being professional inside and outside Correct. the dental office you know I mean I think we yes that's you're, true. You're, you're talking about that with your patients but actually we mustn't remember we mustn't forget conduct Robert. ourselves yes. in a professional we, we way always definitely to conduct yourself in a, in a professional way you are there as an ambassador to the profession that's very um, true all of us are 
And yeah, it's absolutely. a privilege to be part of that. So we've heard from your career journey that started in Saudi Arabia and now you're in the West End. So perhaps describe to the listeners and to us your career situation now in, in three words. Interesting, um, challenging and um, at times exciting. All in equal measures, or do you tend to <laughs> rotate those three words? I think we could rotate those three words, depending on the day. But I think you, um, challenging is probably, you know, every day has its challenges, and which is, is a good thing because it keeps you on your toes. So that's a good thing. But there are days that are easier than others, and I think everybody could say that. I mean, but that's dentistry, I think, dentistry. for you, isn't it? I mean, that's I think that's dealing with the general public and, and that's where we hear time and time again on this podcast about being in the right environment with the right team members can make such a difference to people. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, Julia. I think at the moment I work, I'm very fortunate to work with the people I work with and I enjoy walking in every day. When I go in, I enjoy because... I, I'm a very much a people person, so I like so I've got to know everybody. It's quite a big team, so I've got to know everybody, and I just it feels like walking into home actually sometimes, because I'm friends with people. We work well together. As I say, I've got I, I highly respect the specialists I work with, and it, that makes it even more. And you know, we keep each other on our toes and challenge each other, and I think that's a really good thing. That um, And I think, oh, maybe I could have done that better. Maybe I could have checked that better or whatever. But that's that's part of it. And it's good to be keep, keep those challenges. So talking about challenges, uh, I'm interested to know what's next. What's the next challenge for you? Do you have anything on the horizon in your mind? Or, or are you quite content and quite happy with, with how things are at the moment? I mean, I'm, I'm content. Josh at the moment, but I'm always looking for new challenges. I've I have to say I have particularly enjoyed working for the GDC. And I think there there's possibly chair roles that are coming up, and it's something I'm very much interested in applying for because I've I really have enjoyed my time. I do feel privileged to work for them, so I've really enjoyed my time. So I want to extend that time because mm -hmm. there, we have a limited contract. I think it's four years. And so I would like to continue working for them because I'm fascinated by the judicial system. And, you know, when we're looking at... We look at literature, don't we? Research, we're looking at literature research. But um, with this, we look at case laws. It's it's lovely to look at a different dimension, and I mean, we, of course, we only know a few case laws, but <laughs> that's 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 so interesting. And I think it it's nice to have another role that you know linked with dentistry, but you you take a different part, a different role. So yes, and um, perhaps giving something back to your profession, giving, some may say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, giving something back. Yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing everything that you've shared. And I'm sure all of the listeners will find it very interesting and I'm sure inspirational as, when they're reflecting on their own journeys. Thank you very much, Charlotte, for coming in. It's been a real joy. And I've been delighted to be here. Thank you, Julian and Josh. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. 
we would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please rate, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. Music